Good morning, church. My name is Kevin Maurice, and I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. And I'm so thankful that we as a community can continue to gather together to study God's word and glorify him wherever we are. And I'm, I'm really excited because today and next Sunday, I have the privilege to preach on a topic of incredible significance because we're going to talk about heaven. At Grace, along with churches around Austin, we're teaching through a series called What's After? What is after this life? And, and the timing of this series is appropriate, not only because of this global pandemic that is raising our overall awareness of mortality, but also because last Sunday it was Easter. As we celebrate the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Pastor Matt taught us of the assurance the certainty that we have in our eternity and our salvation. Not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done, we can be absolutely certain that as followers of Jesus, we will go to heaven. And that should cause us to live with great hope because every single one of us is going to die. But because of eternity, because of heaven, we can live with hope hope. George Herbert, a 17th century priest and, and poet, wrote that death used to be an executioner. The gospel makes him just a gardener. Meaning death used to crush us, uh, obliterate us, destroy us. But now for those who are in Christ, all death can do is plant us in God's soil until we become something extraordinary. Because of Resurrection Sunday, we can be certain of our eternal destiny. And so let's, let's ask, what will eternity be like? What is heaven going to be like? And that's a profound question because how we answer that question reveals so much about our theology and also what, what we believe about God and, and how do we know? What we believe about God and how do we know? That's theology and epistemology. And, and I'll tell you, as I prepared the sermon, I, I found that heaven is a more difficult subject to talk about than I thought. Be, because in my life, so much of what I have believed about heaven has been influenced or swayed by uh, movies and, and songs and, and paintings things that, that people say at, at funerals. There are even stories of, of near-death experiences that, that, if true, give us a glimpse of what's after this life. And there are plenty of books written about heaven, and, and some of them are, are quite good. But these various contributors that help us point to heaven, they may, may even scratch the surface of, of what it's like they might contain a kernel or even a great deal of truth, but the fact is many of us have a pre-shaped theology of heaven, whether we realize it or not, that's not fully biblical because it's been formed by all of these other sources. What we believe about heaven reveals what we believe about God and how do we know. And so our primary source our ultimate authority on the eternal will always be the word of God itself. And so here's what the Bible says about heaven. What no eye has seen, 
what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one has imagined the magnificence of heaven because it's too much to fathom. And yet, and yet, and this is so cool, there are certain things about heaven that Scripture and God's Spirit have revealed to us. And so as we explore God's Word today, I want to very humbly ask you to open your Bible with me. And as we study heaven, if there is something new or something different than you have previously thought or hoped or believed, would you continue to study and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you? Some of us may have to relinquish a previously held belief. Uh, All of us need to trust God's word to us. So today we get to discuss what will heaven be like, and we're asking, what does the Bible say about it? So please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Our passage today gives us, I believe, three clear reports of what heaven will be like. We get three vibrant visions that help us to better see and understand our eternal destination. And I got to tell you, this description of heaven is awesome. I've been really excited all week to, to share this with you. So let's get right to it. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children." Wow, uh, I know, that's, that is a lot. So we're going to spend most of our time right here. And, and immediately, I think it's crucial that we see this distinction that in the end, heaven is, is not just a place where Christians escape to when we die. It, it's not. R- read the passage again. Ultimately, heaven comes to earth. After Jesus comes back, be it tomorrow or centuries from now, God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and that is where we will spend eternity. Revelation 21 is fantastic because as it goes on, you get these descriptions of heaven, the the pearly gates, the streets of gold, etc. They're in this chapter, and they're talking about this new heaven and earth. So God will, will take the earth, and he will recreate it, 
And most theologians believe that this, this isn't two separate places, heaven and earth. It's, it's going to be one, rolled, kneaded into one eternal dwelling place. And so for the sake of time this morning, I'll refer to this new heaven and earth simply as heaven. And, and that's our first truth about heaven today, is that it's going to be new and real. Heaven will be new and real. Verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I remember learning this uh, several years ago. I was uh, in college, and I was shocked because I had never heard this before. Theologian N.T. Wright says that our culture is so fixated on dying and going to heaven when the whole of Scripture is actually about heaven coming to earth. There's this view of heaven as an alternative to or a respite from this world and this life, but that's not the Bible. Because God's Word tells us that heaven is the redemption, it's the healing, it's the recreation of this world and life. The Bible says it will be new. And there are two words for new in the original Greek language of this book. One, neos, means brand new, mint condition. The other, kainos, means remade or, or restored. And God calls heaven kainos. It's the world remade. And so heaven is not this cold, blank ethereal place that's completely new and unlike anything that, of where we are. Instead, it's a, a renewed, remade place. And the distinction between those two words tells us so much about heaven. The fact that God recreates the earth tells us that anything good or wonderful in this world that he created is a foretaste of what's to come. And so it seems that the new and real heaven and earth includes what God created and loved and was good about this earth, minus the curse of sin. Remember, in, in the book of Genesis, God creates the earth. He looks at his creation and he says, it is good. He's looking at the mountains that he capped with snow and, and these forests that he's filled with these lush trees and, and, and these rivers that he's, he's colored sapphire blue, and he looks at these things and he says, this is good. And studying the Bible, you see that God's act of recreation will include so much of the same good. My wife and I visited Seattle a few years ago, and we spent the day uh, driving to and exploring Mount Rainier. We, we really wanted to see this mountain. Uh, but when we got there, it was entirely obscured by fog. You, you couldn't see a thing. We thought, you know, maybe as the day goes on, the fog will lift or we can get to a certain vantage point and, and see beyond it. We can get a glimpse of the mountain maybe. And so we started hiking and we climbed for about an hour. We're following this trail and, and the higher we got, the, the less we could hear the noise from, from traffic back at the parking lot. And the more we could hear the, the crunch of leaves beneath our feet and, and the pebbles shifting. The further along we went, the more we could smell the, the pine from the trees and, and the, 
the rain that had just brought out this freshness in the air. And we even came across this trickling glacier melt from the summit, and, and we were able to taste what was there, but just beyond our sight, still veiled behind the fog. We finally, after some time, we, we had to turn around and we descended, and, and Kate, to this day, still has not seen that mountain. She still hasn't seen Mount Rainier. But we encountered a foretaste of it. And we still talk about that day because even though we, ex- we experienced just a hint of what was there, we know what was truly there. We, we saw a glimpse of it. And similarly, that's how this earth speaks to us about heaven. Because as real as the earth seems to us now, it's only a precursor. It's just a taste. Peter Kraft, a theologian and philosopher, he says it this way. If earth is an image of heaven, we know at least three things about heaven. First, it's more real, more substantial than the earth. We usually think of it as somehow thin and wispy and cloudy, but it is the earth that is as wispy as a wind. Second, this means that that heaven has more dimensions than earth, not fewer. And third, heaven is clearer, more detailed and specific than earth, not vaguer. Heaven is a new and real place. And in that place we're going to have new and real bodies. In in fact, our bodies will be perfected. No flaws, no decay. 1 Corinthians 15 says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We don't just evaporate. We, we won't turn into uh, bodiless, floating spirits. We don't become angels. No, in the same way that earth will be recreated, so will our bodies. And we have an example of what a resurrected body is like. Scripture calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. First fruits are the initial part of a harvest. They, they give you a signal of, of a sampling of what's to come. And Jesus was raised with an actual body. And that offers a clue to what ours might be like. His real body, there was a, a physicality to it. People uh, touched him. They recognized him. He walked around. He ate food. And, but at the same time, the material world, it, it didn't have the same power over this body. Death couldn't grasp it. He ascends into heaven. It was a very real, but also a very different kind of body. And the Bible tells us that Christ will transform our bodies to be like his. New and real and perfected. And the fact that we will have real bodies in a real place suggests that we'll be able to move around. 
We'll be able to run and, and jump in heaven. We'll explore and, and hike and climb because if earth is a foretaste of heaven and so much of earth contains God's glory and, and a testament to his creative beauty and the opportunity to experience it, then I believe heaven will as well. And then, check this out. I'm so happy about this. We are going to get to eat in heaven. We are. Several times in the Bible, heaven is described as a feast, which I got to tell you, sounds fantastic. The book of Isaiah says of heaven, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. The best of meats. You know what that means? We're getting Franklin's barbecue in heaven. And, and none of that lean stuff, okay? We're talking prime cuts, and that is awesome. And, and, and then the wine. And at first I thought, wait, isn't, isn't this verse kind of repetitive? He says wine twice. But, but it hit me. No, it's, it's not redundant. God is helping us to see that heaven isn't just any old dinner party. The point is it's a feast, this is a banquet with the finest of wine, and we're not running out. And just look at the parallels between this description of heaven and other passages in the Bible. Jesus' first miracle, it's a wedding reception, and he turns water into wine. The best wine at that celebration. What does the father do for the prodigal son when his child comes home? He throws an incredible feast with the, the fattened calf. That's, that's the good stuff. The night before he's crucified, Jesus lifts up a cup of wine and says, I will drink this with you again in my Father's kingdom. Heaven will be a new and real place. We're going to have new and real bodies, and it is going to be a feast. Now, this ultimate reality, it's not here yet because Jesus has not returned. And so what about believers who die before Christ's return? Where do we go in the meantime? And the Bible does tell us that when we die, we will be with God. 2 Corinthians 5 says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Revelation 21 mentioned an old heaven. So believers who die go to heaven. But, but Scripture indicates that the current heaven is a temporary place. It's more of a layover than the destination. Now, Jesus calls this place paradise. Speaking to the thief on the cross next to him, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. We're not entirely sure what that means. Again, most of our descriptions of heaven in the Bible are of the new heaven and earth. But what we do know about where we go before Christ's return is that it's heaven, we're, we're with God, and it's a paradise. So, first truth, heaven will be new and real. Our second report about heaven is that we will have relationships. Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In heaven, we will have a fully realized relationship with God himself. Through Christ, we are reconciled to God the Father, and and we're able to spend eternity with him. The next chapter in Revelation says that we will see God face to face. And and please don't miss this. This relationship with God will be the absolute joy of heaven. It will be impossible to feel that God is far away. We will not just think about him. We will be face to face with our creator. We'll see him and and we'll talk to him and, and we'll walk with him and And we'll explore this infinite expanse of eternity with him. This is what we were made for. And in heaven, it's what we get to experience forever. My wife has said before that uh, in heaven, she's going to ask God about the deepest parts of the ocean. Like what's what's way down there where, where light doesn't even reach? She's always wanted to know. I used to to laugh and and think that this kind of question to God was was a joke because, you know, we should ask really theological, high-minded questions to God. But but now I think, why should a question like that be a joke? We'll be with God. we're, We're about to see in this passage that he calls us his children. And if I, as a parent, enjoy talking with and answering my four-year-old's questions about why the sky is blue or why elephants have have long and and big ears, then I believe our Heavenly Father is going to laugh and, and answer our questions too because we'll enjoy a relationship with Him. It's a relationship. And wait, there's more, because God in His glory also chooses to give us relationships with one another because it's a feast. And and you don't celebrate alone. You invite the whole family. And verse 3 mentions the people of God. That's us, the church, the bride throughout history. We will experience perfect unity together. And, and, And that means no shame with one another, no no hurt feelings or, or misunderstandings, no dishonesty, none of the things that affect our current interactions. And part of the joy of heaven will be the redeemed relationships we experience with other believers. And how much are we missing relationships right now? I mean, a, a blurry FaceTime call or that internet-lagged Zoom meeting are, are okay, I guess, Come on, can you even imagine the first Sunday that we're all back together here? I'm going to get here so early. The lobby, the courtyard, they're going to be so noisy and crowded between the services. We might as well bring sack lunches because we're all going to stay late because we're going to be reunited. We'll talk and, and we'll hug and we'll just be together. Man, I'm looking forward to that. And how much more so in heaven. Relationships with with other believers that bring you joy here on earth, imagine that bond made perfect. Perfect fellowship with your friends, 
with your spouse, with, with your children, your siblings, your mom, your dad, hey, even your mother-in-law. Now, those relationships, they're going to look different. Jesus tells us, for example, that marriage is something that exists here on earth, but not in heaven. So certain aspects of our relationships will be different, but they'll be absolutely perfect. Relationships also means reunions. Reunions with loved ones in Christ who have died. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. In heaven, we will be reunited with those who have died before us. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's greatest preachers, he, he taught a sermon about heaven in the 1700s, and he encouraged his church, and he told them this, every Christian friend that goes before us from this world is a ransomed spirit waiting to welcome us in heaven. There will be the infant that we've lost below through grace to be found above. There will be the Christian father and mother and wife and child and friend with whom we shall renew the holy fellowship of the saints, which was interrupted by death here, but shall be commenced again in the upper sanctuary and then shall never end. Was there a grandparent that prayed over you as a child um, whose voice maybe you're beginning to forget because they've been gone a while? Or, or your mom or, you, or your dad who taught you about the Lord, maybe they even led you to Christ, but now their mind is starting to drift and, or they've already passed away. Maybe a friend died suddenly, and there's someone that you just miss praying with, and talking to, and, and laughing with, or a beloved husband or, or wife who ran the race of faith and spurred you on to the same, but they're no longer running here. Or perhaps you've grieved the loss of a child. Maybe you even had the name picked out, the room was decorated, but you never even got to meet him or her before death took that life. We grieve death, and we should. It's a horrible, ugly thing, and it was not meant to be, but we do not grieve without hope because death is not the end. There is eternity after this, and that's not just optimism or, or my personal hope. Study the Bible. Look at what God says about who he is and what he's done and what heaven is like. Because in a real place with a new body at a feast, 
you will reunite with that son or, or daughter, husband or wife, cherished friend, father, mother, grandparent. Because when Christ defeated death, he did so to bring us back into relationship with himself. And he restores true fellowship with one another. The joy of heaven will be our relationship with God. And there he will bless us with relationships with one another. Heaven will be new and real. We'll have relationships. And finally, third description of heaven this morning, we will experience freedom. Freedom. Both freedom from and freedom for. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In heaven, we'll experience true freedom from sin and the effects of sin. All of the consequences that have affected mankind since that fateful decision in the garden, there'll be no more. That, that means no more uh, pain, no more death, no more sadness. Every broken heart, every moment of anguish, every experience of agony, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational hurt, no more. We'll have freedom from that. And, and, and when you get to heaven, a, a hand, the hand that formed your inmost being, the hand that put stars in the sky and, and shaped you before you were, the hand with a nail mark through the middle of it will ever so gently and, and knowingly wipe away that final tear from your cheek and say, not here, kiddo. No more. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about heaven called The Great Divorce. Uh, it's fictional, but it contains some really profound insight and, and even some, some good theology. And in the book, one of the characters who's been in heaven for a while tells a newcomer that what we don't understand is that pain doesn't exist anymore in heaven. It, it just doesn't. He says, this is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, surely no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. In heaven, we will have freedom from sin and brokenness. We're also going to experience freedom for freedom for our true purpose. You can jump down to Revelation 21.7. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Freedom for our true purpose as children. Sons and daughters, princes and princesses of the king. The Bible even calls us co-heirs with Christ. That is our destiny. That's who we will be free to be forever. This is the renewed, perfected purpose that God originally gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
to be with him, to serve him, to rule over all of his creation. And, and so because of this, I believe that means we're going to get work to do in heaven. Part of our purpose as children of God will be in serving. In Genesis, before sin entered the world, there was work. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do, and so it's realistic that we will have jobs too. We'll have work to do, and it will be meaningful and significant and worthwhile because it will be what we were made for and what we were made to do. We're going to be fully free in our identity as children of God, and after that final tear is shed, we'll have freedom from sin and hurt and pain. And that, that church is what heaven is going to be like. Isaac Asimov, a science fiction writer, he once said in an interview, you know, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. He feared that heaven would be boring. And I'll tell you, if heaven were just a lot of us in white robes on fluffy clouds playing harps for eternity, I might be inclined to agree with him. But that is not what it's going to be like. Because this is what the Bible says about heaven. The Word of God gives us such a compelling vision of eternity. Heaven cannot be boring because it's where God himself dwells. It is our eternal home. It will be new and real. It will be the most real place that we've ever known. And we'll have new bodies there. We're, we're going to enjoy relationships, most importantly with God himself, and then also with each other. And we're going to be free. We'll discover a, a freedom from sin that we've never encountered and we'll be free to live into our true purpose. No, heaven will not be boring. So where do we go from here? What do we do with this greater understanding of heaven? How should we live life here in light of eternity? That's exactly what we're going to explore together next week. And so join us again next Sunday uh, as we study how do we live meaningfully here on earth while we're in the shadow of heaven. But to close our time today, and, and we're almost done, just hang with me, but I want to encourage you to do two things, okay? Two things that you can do this week and, and also for the rest of your life because of the truth of, of the hope that we have in heaven. First, Study God's word. Study God's word. Reconcile what you believe and how do you know. Is your view of heaven a cloudy picture or a wishful fantasy? Or is your belief in heaven rooted in the authority of the Bible? Because for an accurate view of heaven, we need the right source. And we can study the Bible because God's word is available to each and every one of us. As I've tried to convey the truth of heaven to you this morning, 
I feel very limited by, by my own understanding of eternity, by the time constraints that we have, the right words to say. It feels like I'm trying to describe something that's beyond explanation because that's exactly what I'm doing. And, and here's the thing. There's so much more to heaven than, than just the three things I summarized this morning. There are more passages throughout the Bible that illuminate our eternal destiny, and you can study them, and you can search the scriptures, and you can apply good biblical theology to your understanding of this world and, and your life and what's after. Study God's word. Read what he says. Secondly, imagine eternity. Do that this week. Make some time this week to imagine eternity, to contemplate, to ponder heaven. Go outside in the morning, take your cup of coffee, bring a notebook and a pen and your Bible and just open to Revelation 21 and read it. And then just imagine with scripture in mind, what do you picture heaven is going to be like? Write down some, some hopes for how that real and new place is going to look. What, what do you imagine your, your body is going to be like and, and feel like? What perfected relationship or what reunion are you looking forward to? What's it going to be like to be with God? What kind of questions are you going to ask Jesus? Spend some time each day. Just close your eyes or, or, or put on some music. Go for a walk or a run and use that time to, to dream and, and set your heart and your mind on heaven and take time to imagine eternity. You're stuck at home for a while longer, right? What better opportunity to study God's word and consider and, and contemplate what is after this life. If you are in Christ, you have an eternal destiny in heaven. You can be certain of that. And that means that you can live here with great hope. Would you please pray with me? Father, we, we come before you and we are humbled and we are thankful because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, thank you for your son because in him and through him we have life, eternal life. God, we, we thank you for, for your word that, that gives us uh, the, the hope and, and the, the images and, and descriptions of, of what we are looking forward to expectantly. God, we thank you for everything you've done for us and, and we ask that you continue to give us hope in this world and hope for eternity. Thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. We'll see you again next week as we continue our discussion of heaven and how do we live life here with heaven in mind. Thanks again.